We're in the middle of this series titled uh, Meeting Jesus, and through the series we've been exploring different stories in the Bible where people meet and interact with Jesus. While, doing the, while looking at these different uh, encounters, one of our goals is to learn and understand in a greater capacity the ways that Jesus meets us in our lives. It's our hope that as we do so, uh, through reading scripture and understanding it better, we can find ways to inspire transformation in our lives. By a show of hands, if I could schedule you an appointment to meet Jesus, who would want to meet him? Raise your hand, high and proud. Oh man, you guys are passing the course. Good job. But imagine if you only got to meet him when you least expected it. Imagine you had to meet Jesus while making a shady business deal. Saying nasty things about someone behind their back. Yelling at your spouse or kids. Looking at pornography. Fudging on our taxes. Or drinking belligerently with our friends. What if your opportunity to meet Jesus happened when you were neck deep in your worst sin. Would you still be that excited to raise your hand and go meet him? Today's passage centers around Jesus meeting a woman caught in a sinful act of adultery. As we unpack this piece of scripture, hopefully we can gain a better understanding of not only the story, but how Jesus meets us in our sin. Our scripture comes today from John 8, verses 2 through 11, and Russ George is our scripture reader. So Russ, would you please come to the center of the room? And could I ask if all of you are able uh, to please stand up and rise for the, the reading of God's word? We stand and we face the center to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives and that it's the primary lens we use to view the world around us. So Russ, whenever you're ready, go ahead and get started. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you, Russ. You can all be seated. So our passage for today takes place in Jerusalem in the temple courts at dawn, the day after the Jewish festival Sukkot. 
And it's here we find Jesus teaching to a crowd of people that had gathered around him. But as Jesus starts teaching, he gets interrupted by a group of Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they bring before him a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Given the fact that she was brought to the temple courts in the early morning, means she was most likely caught in the act that evening, that night, and was brought to the temple courts. If she was immediately taken, we can maybe infer that she wasn't fully clothed, and she was taken against her will. I want to take a moment to feel what she's going through. Can you imagine the shame and the fear that she would have been experiencing in this very moment? She'd been taken against her will and dragged by a group of self-righteous Pharisees to be put on display in the temple courts. Now, I know what she did was not a very good thing. But just think how she felt in that moment. Have you ever experienced being caught dead in the act of a sin? It's one of the worst feelings in the world. Years ago, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I had heard some weird noises coming from the basement, and that's where our kids' room was, so I was a little concerned. So I did what any born and raised Idahoan would do. I reached under my bed and grabbed my toy lightsaber. I grabbed it out to protect myself and serve as light. And I go downstairs and I see that, that the freezer door is open and my child's light is on. Now I'm immediately uh, relieved that I think I know what's going on here because I saw that my favorite carton of ice cream was no longer in the fridge, in the freezer. So kind of understanding what was going on, I walk up to my son's door and I just open it quickly and I catch him like a deer in the headlights, chocolate all over his face, neck deep in a carton of ice cream, not neck deep, like elbow deep in a carton of ice cream. And so I say, what are you doing? To which he responds, I don't know. In that moment, I caught him sticky-handed, chocolate on his face, and he was full of panic, fear, shame, and regret. He didn't know how to respond. I imagine that the woman, in a more serious note, felt the same way. How do I deal with this? I'm in the midst of this chaos. When we find ourselves in circumstances where we are caught in our sin, we often don't know how to react. And we don't have time to process what's going on. We just panic. We act in fear, regret, and we feel shame. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could have cared less about the feelings of this woman or what she was experiencing. They were too preoccupied with something else. They had another agenda. They brought this woman before Jesus not because they were concerned about justice 
or atonement, but only to use her as a pawn in a trap to set for Jesus. This trap was designed to have Jesus have to choose between the law, the Torah law, and Roman law. If you look at verse 5, Jesus is told that the law states the woman should be killed by stoning. And they were right, because they knew the law. Deuteronomy 22:22 says this, If a man is found sleeping with another woman's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. The law clearly stated what this woman's fate should be. And if Jesus were to land on the side of grace, then he would be breaking Torah law. But on the flip side, if Jesus were to side with stoning her, he would have been breaking the Roman law that forbid anyone without a governor's permission to kill someone. This would have given the Pharisees grounds for accusing him of a Roman dis- disruption, Roman order disruption. But Jesus was a brilliant, brilliant man. He knew right away there was something off about what they were trying to do. If we go back to Deuteronomy, it said that a man and a woman would be put to death. Where's the man? There's a missing piece to this equation. Jesus knew they were trying to get him. And so he had to respond to the trap with brilliance. So what would he do? What was his brilliant idea to get out of this mess? We're told in verses six through eight. It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Jesus' brilliant response to this trap, right on the ground. Interesting. Here's something I want us to first take from this. Jesus responds to the Pharisees calmly and with humility. It says that he bent down and he started to write on the ground. And after some people had questioned him, he states that, okay, if you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw. You go first. And then he started writing again. What's so brilliant about what he did is by saying what he said, he didn't deny her guilt, but he also didn't endorse her death. He would finish his response, as I said, by writing on the floor. And on the surface level, I don't know if you feel the, what I'm feeling with this is, that doesn't seem like enough to make an angry mob of Pharisees be appeased. So it begs the question, what did he write that created such a change? 
Because in verse 9 it says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until, it was only, Je- until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. What was it about riding in the dirt that convinced this group of Pharisees to change their condemnation? There's a number of fun theories around that, actually. Some people believe that Jesus maybe started writing scripture on the floor. Some think that maybe he wrote the names of the accusers. Others would say that maybe he just wrote out what he was going to say beforehand. Some think he just maybe doodled in the dirt. But there's another option I want us to consider here this morning. Earlier I mentioned that this was happening the day after the festival of Sukkot. And Sukkot is a Jewish festival that takes place right after the harvest, during the last week of Israel's dry season. And it happens usually early, uh, late September, early October. And this festival runs seven days and is a celebration of God's provision to Israel. And so throughout this festival, they celebrate uh, Israel's past and his provision in the desert. They celebrate the, this uh, current harvest that God has provided. And they also make a plea towards the future for, good, for a good rainy season for this upcoming year. An important component of the festival revolved around God's provision of water, or as they would say, living water. This concept of living water often referred to water in the form of rain, or maybe a natural spring or a river, that source was directly from God. And God was typically associated as living water because of what he provided to our lives. Because the festival placed an, important, uh, an importance on God's provision, especially a provision in water, this concept of living water would have been on the hearts and minds of the people in the city, especially the Pharisees, that knew their law, that knew scripture. They would have been familiar with any passage that had to do with living water. Will you turn with me to Jeremiah 17, verse 13, if you have a Bible? It says this, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Those who turn away from God will be written in the dust. Brilliant. Jesus recreated an image in scripture to connect them to their current situation. Jesus was telling them that their actions showed that they had turned away and forsaken the Lord. And if you were to read just a few verses ahead in in verse 10, it talks about how the Lord examines the heart, how he examines the mind. And just as the woman's actions were sinful, so too were the Pharisees and the teacher of the law's 
hearts. This convicted the accusers of their sinful hearts, which led to them leaving one by one, oldest to youngest. Leaving only Jesus and the adulteress left. And it's here where Jesus finally speaks directly to this woman. Verses 10 and 11 say, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's so much from this passage about what happens when we meet Jesus in our sin. When we meet Jesus in our sin, he meets us with compassion. He meets us with a compassion rooted in love, mercy, grace, and humility. If we look at the actions of Jesus, we first see his compassion, whether on purpose or not, through the posture that he takes. It says that when he went to go right in the ground, what did he do? He bent down. He made himself lower than the woman caught in sin. The posture that Jesus displayed here was not one and is not one that we commonly experience when we are caught in sin. In fact, I think we typically experience people looking down on us. When it came to what Jesus said to this woman, he never said anything to make her feel shamed, but instead showed her mercy through the love that he, showed, that he displayed. He treated her with love and grace by telling her, I do not condemn you. Jesus wasn't ready to give up on this woman. And he's not ready to give up on any one of us. As we meet Jesus in our sin, he first meets us with that same compassion. He's not quick to condemn. He loves us regardless of the mistakes that we've made and is willing to show mercy to see us move forward. He doesn't shame us for the bad things we've done or make a spectacle of our sin. With Jesus... There is no cancel culture where we're written off because of the mistakes that we've made. As we look at how Jesus met this woman caught in sin, he meets her with compassion, and we too should be challenged to meet people in their sin with compassion. When we find ourselves meeting others, we need to emulate that humility that mercy, that love, and that grace that Jesus showed this woman. I want to go back to my sticky hand, chocolate-covered face kid. I look back on that moment, and it's pretty lighthearted. But I knew exactly what he was doing. And I barged into that room to scare him. I barged into that room so he would know that he was in the wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like discipline or anything like that. Like he needs to learn. 
But I do wonder if before I walked in, I would have grabbed the wet rag. I would have walked in. I would have sat by his bed, started wiping his face, and asked him a few questions. I'm going to say right now, I'm not sure my tactic really worked. He still does the same thing. I'm just kidding. No, he's great. I'm just joking. Um, But when we meet others in, in their sin, do you find yourself emulating the compassion of Jesus? Or maybe like me in my instance, emulating the Pharisees and their condemnation. In our passage today, Jesus displayed humility as he bent down and compassion as he didn't condemn this woman. We see the same picture of humility and compassion when we look to Jesus on the cross. Because of his love and compassion for us, he was willing to humbly submit himself on a cross to die. When we meet Jesus in our sin, We experience his compassion. That being said, his compassion should propel us or push us towards correction. In verse 11, Jesus told the woman to go and leave your life of sin. Even though he showed compassion, his leaving charge was to turn away from the sin that got you here. After being met with compassion, we too are challenged to turn away. We are called to repentance. To repent is not merely to confess our sin or to ask for forgiveness. Those are all great things and a part of it. But there's really a third component and that's changing the conduct of our lives because of it. It's allowing for sin to not rule our lives anymore. As we feel the Holy Spirit convicting us to repentance, it's important that we know that there are times where repentance doesn't happen. Can't snap very good, apparently. Very well. Doesn't happen very quickly. Repentance sometimes is a process. Something I have struggled with my entire life from a little boy to right now, is anger. Now, when I was a little boy, I'd throw fits, I'd throw tantrums, and that doesn't happen anymore, thank goodness. It'd be pretty big holes in the wall. But, but I do, there's days where I come home from work, and it's been hard, and I bring it home with me. Or maybe I'm just struggling with some stuff internally, and I snap at my wife more than I should. Or I maybe snap at my kids Or I go and play basketball because that's going to help me feel some stress relief. And I snap at a player I'm playing against. I'm still in that repentance process. It's a constant struggle. And know that God doesn't expect us to just get it together right away. But he does push us towards it. There are times in our lives, both great and small, where we will choose to get off this path that God has for our lives. And we will start to embrace our sinful nature. 
but because of the compassion that Jesus showed us on the cross and his resurrection, we have the opportunity to return back to the path God has us on and experience his living water. He did that for the woman and he does that for us too. Meeting Jesus in our sin gives us the opportunity to experience his living water, a life that is refreshed and renewed, one that transforms who we were to who we are. Just a day earlier, on the last day of Sukkot, in our passage, Jesus proclaimed this in John 7, 37, verse 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. When we choose to put our faith in Jesus and embrace his compassion and his correction, he will act as living water and will flow within us. He will refresh and restore us and bring us new life. How cool is it that the day after this festival that celebrates and, and prays for living water to, to enter Israel, that this woman experiences it from Jesus. I'm going to bet that there's many of us here today that have been or are currently trapped in a drought of sin. Or maybe there's just some of us here who are sitting stagnant in our faith. I want to invite each and every one of us to accept the living waters of Jesus and be renewed and restored in a way that gives life abundantly. Today, we have the opportunity to allow for Jesus to meet us in our sin. And I know it might seem scary, but we have to remember He's not like anybody else. No shame, no condemnation, but compassion and a challenge to turn back to him. Maybe that means making a decision to believe and follow Jesus for the first time here this morning. Maybe that means taking a look at our lives and repenting about sin that's created this stagnant water that we're living in. But either way, I want to challenge you today to be refreshed, restored, and renewed. When we meet Jesus in our sin, he doesn't condemn. He shows compassion and he leads us towards correction. He fills us with his living water. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for 
its inspiration and its, and its teaching. And Lord, we ask that today, if there is sin in our lives, we find ourselves captive to, that you restore us. Lord, that you would uh, meet us with compassion, that you would correct our lives, Lord, and that we would be able to, through that, experience your living water. Lord, we pray that any of us struggling here today with those things would find peace in you and move their hearts towards repentance. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you join me uh, with this blessing, please? Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.